you know, there are several things that I love about the Apostle Paul's uh, life, things that I want to have uh, in my own life and things uh, that I'm praying would also be uh, in your life. Uh, first, I love Paul's uh, reality. Uh, I, I love his, his just authenticity. And we see this uh, perhaps uh, in a very clear way in, in many places in, in the New Testament, but we see this perhaps clearest in Romans 7, where Paul says, For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Uh, you're familiar with that passage. We all have been in places in our lives where we have a recurring uh, fault, we have a recurring sin, we've got a recurring issue in our lives, and we are just wondering how do I find myself in this place here again. And the Apostle Paul finds himself on occasion in that situation. He's real and he's authentic. Uh, he, uh, he puts no spiritual veneer on uh, his life. Uh, on the other hand, the Apostle Paul has tremendous confidence and trust in the Lord Jesus. Um, he, he is able uh, to say uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that is something that I want to be able to say. I would like that to be my life verse. Would you like that to be one of your life verses that you could say to live is Christ and to die is gain? And I think what he's getting at there when he says to live is Christ He's saying that not only when I'm preaching the gospel and and doing these uh, tremendous uh, things that God has called me to do, I'm living for him. But when I'm doing the mundane, tent-making, day-to-day, in-and-out chores that I have, I am doing those unto the Lord Jesus, and I'm doing them for his glory. And so all of his life is a redemptive thing. All of his life is for the glory of God. Whatever he's doing, whatever I'm doing, my prayer is I would do that, uh, that, that, whatever I'm doing for uh, the Lord. And then he's also, to say, he's also able to say, to die is gain. You know, Paul has people after him constantly. Uh, people chasing him, people beating him. He's been shipwrecked. He's been persecuted. His apostleship has been challenged. Uh, he is constantly uh, under attack. And he's learned to live in that kind of setting and in that kind of situation. And he's at the point where he doesn't even fear death. Uh, it is gain. Uh, His faith then becomes sight and he will be in the presence of the Lord. And so Paul, uh, as I read Paul and as I read the New Testament, especially the latter part of Paul's life, um, I I, I picture him as as, as untouchable often. And and I want to be in a place like that, untouchable in a godly sense. By untouchable, and I've been just having this word to describe his life and what I want in my life as well. Uh, over the last months or, or year or so, uh, it's been kind of a prayer of my heart that I would be untouchable. That no matter what comes my way, no matter what is going on in my life, that there is a peace, that there is a, a, a joy, that there is a steadfastness in the Lord Jesus where I am okay. Where I am okay. Perhaps uh, Paul's, what I'm trying to describe right now in Paul's life Perhaps it's best explained by his words in 2 Corinthians 6, where he says, Sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. 
He's a realist. He's dealing with real life. He doesn't have a lot. He's poor. And yet he possesses everything in the Lord Jesus. He's he's untouchable there. Do I have everything that I want in life? No, I don't. Am I okay? Yes, I am. These are the kinds of things that I want in my own heart, in my own soul. Um, the The Apostle Paul's heart was at peace even when his circumstances were hard, when they were tough. How can this be? Well, for him, the Lord Jesus was his master. Uh, the Lord Jesus was his shepherd, uh, his, his great shepherd, his good shepherd, who provided for everything that he needs. And he also is our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Uh, it is possible for you and I to live the way that he lived. Uh, perhaps uh, the best expression of God being our, our shepherd the one who cares for us, the one that protects us, uh, the one that sustains us. Perhaps the best expression of this comes not from Paul, but from David in this very famous and well-known Psalm 23. It is certainly probably the most well-known passage in all of the Old Testament, uh, perhaps the most well-known passage of of the Bible. We're going to look at this passage today, and my prayer for us is that we would see the opportunity that we have in Christ to be confident uh, because our shepherd is so trustworthy that he can see us through no matter what life, no matter what uh, comes our way in life. Let's pray uh, before we read his word and before we get into uh, Psalm 23. Let's bow our heads together again. Father in heaven, we want to thank you this morning uh, for your son, our Lord Jesus, and we want to thank you for the word of God. I thank you that, I, uh, that preachers are not on, on a weekly basis trying to come up with uh, what we should say. But you have given us your word, your revealed will for our lives. You have given us what we should say. So I pray that you would help me to be faithful to your word this morning. But we pray that we would be changed by it, that we would be transformed, uh, that we would be changed. And I pray as we look at this very familiar passage that you would give us fresh eyes uh, to see it anew today and to be uh, encouraged and to move uh, progressively and more closely to that place where we see Paul living, uh, where we see uh, David living in Psalm 23, where we have this tremendous trust and confidence in our God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand again, and we're going to do our scripture reading now, and then we'll get into this passage. And I'm putting the uh, passage up uh, in the King James Version, and let's read this all uh, together uh, aloud. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As you are seated, go ahead and grab your Bible or a Bible in the chairs in front of you and open that up to Psalm 23. We're going to go through this uh, verse by verse this morning. Again, this very familiar passage, Psalm 23. We see in the title here that this is a Psalm of David. A Psalm of David. David uh, lived around 1000 B.C. And so we should have in our minds here at the outset of this uh, psalm that we here are reading and studying a a psalm that has been a part of the life of God's people for 3,000 years. This has been a place where people have have gone to, to read and to meditate. This has been a psalm that has been sung for the last uh, 3,000 years. It has been memorized. It has been uh, studied. It has brought great confidence in the Lord and refuge uh, to God's people. This is a a beautiful and ancient psalm. Um, One uh, commentator uh, about this psalm says, uh, Psalm 23 is for parents who survive the folly of rebellious children for people returning from war, for someone recently out of jail. And I would want to kind of change the tenses uh, or add to the tenses on here, not change them, but just add that Psalm 23 is for parents who are in the middle of dealing with rebellious children. And Psalm 23 is for people, uh, for soldiers who are in the middle of war. And Psalm 23 is for the person who is sitting in prison as well, not just the person who has recently uh, come out uh, of prison. Well, let's come to the text here, Psalm 23 and verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, uh, I shall not be in want. Notice here in verse 1 this, uh, this personal, and, uh, personal and singular pronoun, my. This is an individual psalm. Uh, this is, there are many psalms that are collective, that are talking about the community, talking about the people of God, but not this psalm. This is an individual psalm, and David is, is making this declaration, this statement of confidence that the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not be in want. He is saying here essentially that I have everything I need for life, for godliness, for sustenance. I have everything I need in this covenant-keeping God of Israel who goes by the name Yahweh. And uh, we know that this is the uh, Hebrew word here for God. It's all in all capital letters in our English Bibles, uh, L-O-R-D. And that's letting us know that this is that special and sacred name specifically for the God of Israel. It was a sacred covenant name of God. Now, if we, where we sit 3,000 years after this was written, uh, God the Son has already uh, come and been born in, in Bethlehem as a, as a baby, has died on the cross and has risen on the third day. So we, for us, where we are today as the church, the covenant name of, of God that, that we have today is Jesus. Uh, we know uh, more about the persons of the Godhead today than David did. And so as we read this psalm, uh, it would be right for us to have Jesus in our minds Uh, He is our shepherd. And as we have trust and confidence in him, our wants and our desires get put in their place. And we have everything that we need. So verses 1 through 4 have this this image or this metaphor of 
a shepherd and sheep. And we could summarize it by saying Jesus is our all-sufficient shepherd. This is, uh, again, the image that David is using between shepherd and sheep in verses 1 through 4. In the New Testament, Jesus himself is identified. He identifies himself as the good shepherd. John ten eleven, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. So this is a common theme throughout Scripture, throughout the centuries, uh, of a relationship between God and his people, God being uh, described as a shepherd. So he is our shepherd. We shall not be in want. Uh, Take a look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, I don't know if you're uh, like me, but I love uh, the outdoors. I love God's creation. I love to be in in, uh, green pastures, as it were. I love to be uh, up in the Sierra, whether it's uh, blanketed with snow or whether it's springtime and the the green meadows are are there and the flowers are coming out. Uh, I love to be in these kinds of places. And so we have this this imagery uh, of these kinds of places in verse 2. But what what, uh, David is after and what the Lord is after here in verse 2 is not so much being necessarily in these uh, beautiful places, but that the association of, of peace that comes with these places. And what is really emphasized here is the one that gets us there. Um, who makes us lie down in green pastures? Who is the one that brings us besides the quiet waters? It is the Lord. It is Jesus. And he is the one that is going to bring us to places uh, of peace and places of rest in our soul. So whether we are uh, in prison whether we are in a very difficult place in life, whether we are um, uh, suffering tremendously, we can, as it were, be brought alongside the green pastures and along those quiet waters through uh, the sustaining power of our good shepherd of the Lord Jesus. So uh, that's uh, verse 2. Verse 3, he uh, steps out of this metaphor very briefly. And he says, he restores my soul. So like uh, what I uh, described about about Paul earlier, we see of David here in verse 3. He's stepping out of the shepherd-sheep metaphor for just a moment, and he's letting us know that he is uh, a real person who struggles. We certainly know that about David. He uh, had his struggles. He had his difficult times. And he is making the statement of confidence that the Lord restores our soul, that he forgives us, that he brings us back when we have gone astray. Uh, He restores our soul. This is a beautiful, short little phrase here tucked into this, these first first few verses. Uh, Moving on, uh, in verse 3, he continues. He says, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So here we have most of our English translations uh, following uh, the King James uh, Version. Uh, this this uh, psalm has, has quite a, a place and a history. Uh, people just don't want to mess with Psalm 23 as it has been handed down through the King James Version. But there are actually better ways to translate this second part of verse 3 where it says he guides me in paths of righteousness. What, what he is describing here are not holy paths or righteous paths, but what he's saying, the imagery here is that this good shepherd will direct his uh, sheep through the right paths, through the correct paths. 
So some of you, if you have a modern translation that was uh, bold enough and courageous enough to move away from the King James a little bit, like the New Living Translation or the New Revised Standard Version, it will actually say there, he leads me in right paths or in correct paths. This is important for us to know because uh, the reality is the truth here behind this is important for us to know because a lot of times we look at our lives and we think, God, you know, why am I here? Why am I on this path? This doesn't seem a very straight. It doesn't seem very narrow. It seems very crooked. It seems like I'm down very low. And David here, this, this psalm is telling us that he guides us in the right paths. He guides us in the correct paths, even though those paths sometimes entail danger, sometimes they entail suffering. The shepherd knows what he's doing, and he knows why he would take his, his flock of sheep through this dangerous place. So continuing then, let's take a look at verse 4. He says there, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So again, the emphasis here is on this good shepherd, on this great shepherd who is with him. Even though we go through hard times and terrible times, he is with us. And we do not need to fear. We can, in a sense, be untouchable at times in our lives when we are close to the cross, when we are close to our good shepherd, when we are close to the truths of the gospel. So again, in verse 4, we have our English translators not wanting to move away from the King James Version. But we have somewhat of an unfortunate connotation here uh, in verse 4 where we often associate this psalm with, with death and with memorial services. Do, we, do you have that association in your mind? Now, this psalm is obviously very appropriate to use at memorial services and that sort of thing. But what, is, what the, David is getting at here is, uh, is, is difficult times. Uh, what he's getting at, if you, if you have an NIV, I'm preaching here from the NIV, if you look at the note there, the translator notes, instead of the valley of the shadow of death, it says, or through the darkest valley. And that really brings out uh, the sense here uh, better than uh, the King James does. Uh, The shepherd sometimes takes his sheep through canyons, through deep valleys, through wadis, where there's danger, where there's predators lurking that can attack those sheep. The shepherd knows where he's going. He knows the destination for his flock. And so he takes them through these difficult places, and he is with them, and he will see us through. He will see us through these times. One uh, commentator writes this. He says uh, about uh, the shepherd, uh, he does not unnecessarily tire out his sheep. He knows what lies ahead. Even when the right paths bring the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death, there is no need to fear. There is no need to be anxious. Uh, He is with us and he will see us through these times. You know, we have all uh, probably been there ourselves, but, uh, but have seen someone, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is in a deep valley, who is in a dark time, who is suffering, who is hurting. And we have seen this person, even though they are sorrowful, they are still rejoicing. They are still okay. There is a peace upon them. As a pastor, I've had this experience so many times where I go in the hospital, there's just been a car accident and there's been a stroke or there's been a heart attack or there's been this sudden thing that has happened in a family's life and I'm going in there and I'm kind of anxious and I'm kind of stressed out and what is, what's going to happen? What am I going to see? 
and I walk into an ICU or a waiting room where the presence of Jesus is just so strong that, it, that, that it's okay. Uh, it's terrible what has happened, but, but he is there and he is with them and he is seeing them through. It is a powerful testimony to our God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ when we encounter hard times. We, we, we don't pretend as though they're not hard times. They are hard. There are tears. We are sorrowful, yet we know that he is with us and he's going to see us through. And so we can fear no evil because he is with us. He has this rod and this staff, this imagery of, of protection, of, of guidance. He's with us. This is a a beautiful and comforting psalm for the living. You know, I want to share with you about a person, a person in church history who um, exemplifies kind of what I've just described, described. Someone for whom was in a deep, dark, a dungeon prison, literally, and yet uh, God was with him. Uh, his name is uh, William Tyndale, and he actually is responsible for much of the translation of the King James Version of the Bible. Long after he was uh, martyred for the faith, uh, the committees got together uh, to develop this uh, authorized English translation. And Tyndale had already done uh, a tremendous work, the first one to translate the New Testament from Greek into English. Uh, and they couldn't improve on much, uh, most of his uh, translation they couldn't improve on. And so if you, are, are, uh, if you were brought up or familiar with the King James Version, um, you are reading mostly the actual words of, of this one man, uh, William Tyndale. Something like 84% of the King James New Testament are uh, his translation. But let me tell you a little bit about his life. Uh, he was a scholar. He was a priest. Um, he was a, a tremendously uh, bright and gifted man. And he began, uh, he was part of this movement uh, to rediscover the scriptures in their original languages, reading Hebrew and Greek for, for the first time. Scholars have not been doing this for centuries. And uh, Tyndale begins to do this work, and, and as he's doing this, he discovers that the Bible does not teach a salvation through this complicated sacramental system that the church that he was a priest in was, was teaching. And he recognized that the gospel teaches, that the Bible teaches through the gospel that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And he begins to share this conviction, and, and he has this tremendous calling to translate the Bible into English and to put it into the hands of the people, which was illegal. It was not only illegal to translate it, but it was illegal to possess a copy in England. A, a, uh, it was illegal to, co- uh, to possess a copy of the English Bible. It's, it's uh, stunning for us to think of this. So I'm um, getting eventually to the, to the part where this relates to Psalm 23. Tyndale um, is, uh, has to flee for his life. Um, he is a heretic, punishable by, uh, by burning at the stake. And so he flees England and he goes to Brussels and he is there working tirelessly on translating uh, the uh, Old Testament after he's finished the New Testament. And he's eventually captured and found out. And they're doing these inquiries uh, of him, and he's sitting in this uh, prison in this castle uh, in near Brussels, and he is suffering tremendously. And he writes a letter to um, to uh, to an unnamed officer uh, in this castle. This is in September of 1535, and Tyndale is freezing cold. And he writes this letter. Look at what he writes here. He says, "I beg your lordship, and that of the Lord Jesus." 
that, I, that if I am to remain here through the winter, you will request the commissary to have the kindness to send me from the goods of mine which he has a warmer cap. For I suffer greatly from cold in the head and am afflicted by uh, a perpetual uh, catarrh, a uh, severe uh, cold sort of thing. I, uh, he goes on, which, I, which is much increased in this cell, a warmer coat also, for this which I have is very thin, a piece of cloth too to patch my leggings. My overcoat is worn out. My shirts are also worn out. He has a woolen shirt. If he will be good enough to send it, I have also with him leggings of thicker cloth to put on above. He has also warmer nightcaps, and I ask to be allowed to have a lamp in the evening. It is indeed wearisome sitting alone in the dark. But most of all, I beg and beseech your clemency to be urgent with the commissary that he will kindly permit me to have the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew dictionary, that I may pass the time in that study. In return, you may obtain what you most desire, so only that it be for the salvation of your soul. This guy is freezing to death in this dungeon, looking forward to this winter that is coming. And what is at the top of his list, what is of utmost importance to him is the Word of God and getting a Hebrew Bible uh, in front of him and dictionary and grammar book. He finishes the letter, uh, but if any other decision has been taken concerning me, uh, that's, uh, that's code for if you decide to execute me before the clothes can get here, don't worry about sending the clothes and the Bible. If any other decision has been taken concerning me to be carried out before winter, I will be patient, abiding the will of God to the glory of the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ, whose spirit, I pray, may ever direct your heart. This is a guy who is in the dark dungeon. This is a man who fears no evil because God is with him because he is doing what God has called him to do. Uh, he's in desperate conditions. He's literally freezing to death. He, is, he, is, uh, he actually ends up going through this winter. We don't know if they brought him uh, the things that he requested or not, but he makes it through that winter and others, and he is uh, executed in 1536 because he was a scholar and a priest and of uh, an upper class, he wasn't burned alive at the stake. You can see this drawing here where the official uh, strangled him first so, and then they lit the fire and, uh, and burned him uh, after he had died. And uh, the crowd there reported that uh, before he died that he was praying for those uh, who were taking his life and praying for the king of England. This is a man for whom Jesus Christ was an all-sufficient shepherd. Now, you and I, we're not going to encounter this kind, of, uh, this kind of persecution and this kind of suffering. But we have other forms of suffering and difficulties that come into our lives. And the same Jesus who saw William Tyndale through his trials all the way to the stake is the same resurrected Jesus from whom we have Holy Spirit power to live our lives this week and today in a, in a way where we are untouchable. We have the ability through our confidence and trust in God to be at peace. 
no matter what comes our way, no matter how dark the shadow, no matter how deep the valley, the Lord is with us. That's verses 1 through 4. Let's come back to Psalm 23 here. The image shifts in verse 5 from shepherd and sheep to an image of host and guest. In verse 5, the Lord, uh, this covenant-keeping God uh, of David and of us, this God is is, uh, compared to or or described as as a gracious host. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David, as this warrior king, would have enemies after him all the time. And you have to keep eating. Uh, you have to keep going, uh, even when the battle is, is at your uh, front door at times. And so we have this image here in verse 5, that this, this covenant-keeping God is the kind of gracious host who prepares a wonderful meal, a wonderful banquet. But he's able to do that with the enemies right at the front door. So we're, we're, we should have a picture of, of, of David, of ourselves, being able to, to pull up a, a chair at this table with this beautifully, lavishly set dinner and meal with the enemies within sight who want to take our lives, but we can sit down and dine and enjoy a beautiful meal because of the strength of our God is with us and he will protect us from those who are, uh, those who are against us. So in verse 5, we see that Jesus is our all-powerful and our all-loving host. It's a beautiful picture. And then finally, we come to verse 6, which is somewhat of a closing uh, remark, a closing verse to this short psalm. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so what we might expect for a king who has enemies after him all the time, we might expect this imagery of of my enemies are chasing after me all the time. My enemies are after me. But instead we have this picture of goodness and love. And uh, the Hebrew word there for love is is the word uh, hesed. Pastor Adam has talked about that. It is, again, this idea of this covenant faithfulness, this, this specific committed God who is in a covenant relationship with us and his love and his goodness, that's what's going to follow me. That's what's going to chase me all the days of my life, not my enemies. This is good news. This is good news. The final uh, kind of summary point here of verse 6 is that Jesus is our ever-present pursuer. This covenant God of ours is going to pursue us with his goodness and with his kindness even when we stray away from him. And we will dwell in his house forever. I want to close uh, sharing with you uh, uh, kind of a silly story from this past week that just uh, fits with this last verse of, of God being a pursuer. Uh, my kids, uh, one of them's in here, but my three kids have been playing even at night and in the rain in our little area of woods underneath our house, this last, uh, beneath our house this uh, last week. We live kind of on a grade, and they've been down there. And they had a special guest, special visitor that has been with them these last few days, a black cat that they've named Darth Vader. Now, I'm not sure why they called the cat Darth Vader. It's female. I mean, it's black. But this cat has just been after them, pursuing them. I mean, I'm not kidding. We're, we're leaving for school, and this cat comes out of the woods meowing, trying to seek the kids out, trying to be with them. 
Uh, my boys are riding their bikes on this trail in the woods, and the cat's right in the midst. They actually had me go down there to take some pictures of them in the pitch dark, riding their bikes with flashlights uh, in the woods. And this cat is trying to get in the midst of them and, and, and love them and you know, kind of come alongside them. We have two large dogs that do not do cats, and the dogs have been restricted to the backyard this last week because of Darth Vader. And they have been out there um, petting this cat, and this cat has been bold enough to come all the way up on our deck with our dogs on the other side of the front door uh, ready to pounce, but it has been pursuing them. This cat loves them. And, I, and I, I, as, I, as I read verse 6, and I see this goodness and this hesed love of this covenant God following us all the days of our lives, I have ironically thought of this crazy cat that they have named Darth Vader coming out of the woods in the morning, coming out of the woods when we uh, come home to pursue and to love our kids. That is the kind of love that we have. Our God is pursuing us. He loves us. And his goodness and his mercy and his grace will pursue us even when we go astray. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this so familiar psalm that has been a a part of the life of your people for 3,000 years. We thank you for it. We thank you for the entirety of your word. We thank you that you, Jesus, are our covenant-keeping great shepherd. We thank you that Paul's words cannot be just, uh, that they can be something beyond uh, religious uh, fantasy language and that we can actually, in our hearts, live in such a way where to live is Christ and to die is gain. We thank you that through the power of the gospel, that no matter what kind of evil, what kind of difficulties, what kind of dark valleys we face, that you are with us and that you will see us through. Lord, help us to be untouchable people in a godly sake, in a godly way, in a way that honors our Lord Jesus. We thank you in his name. Amen. Do you stand with me?